Selling smoothies is what I do. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of How to Win 2024. It's Thursday, November 16th. I'm Jennifer Palmieri, and I'm here with my co-host, Claire McCaskill. And Claire, it just keeps getting more troubling, more bizarre, more unhinged on Capitol Hill. Hey, Jen, we've got a great lineup today. The Democrats have been working together, and the Republicans, it's the same clown car, just a different driver. So we're going to talk a little bit about winners and losers, as we always do. but. This week, we want to make sure we cover the antics of throwing elbows and punches that has now become a normal thing in the Republican Party. We are also going to be joined by a very special guest, uh, my friend Rob Flaherty. He is the deputy campaign manager at the Biden campaign. He was deputy director of digital strategy under Hillary Clinton. And just like A, delightful, B, super smart, and creative, innovative, and just kind of the perfect old soul young person to oversee digital strategy for Joe Biden. And I think that this team has been doing sneaky good stuff that hasn't taken hold yet in the political ecosystem, but laying the groundwork both for a good critique of defining the opposition, defining Trump, but also getting accomplishments from President Biden into the ecosystem. So we're going to talk to Rob, too. And then finally, before we go, we're going to shine a spotlight. And and I'm going to give everyone a quiz right now. No, and you should relax, because by the end of this podcast, we're going to give you the answers. What are the two states that we must win to hold the Senate in 2024? It's very, it's a very important question. It's a very key question. But we're going to start with winners and losers. And for winners, we have picked Chuck Schumer and Hakeem Jeffries. I feel like we don't talk about Chuck Schumer enough, Claire. I guess because the, the spotlight is on the chaos in the House. And therefore, if you're speaking of Democrats on, on Capitol Hill, you might be going to Hakeem Jeffries as opposed to Schumer. But neither one of them has an easy job in keeping the Democratic caucus together, as you well know in the Senate. It's a tricky business, too. But what they have both managed to do this time around, this week, is deliver very big majorities voting to keep the government opened. It's wild. Six weeks later, the Republicans are exactly where they were six weeks ago with a House Republican speaker keeping the government open, which is a popular thing to do, with Democratic votes. It's no different than what Kevin McCarthy did, what Mike Johnson has done. Uh, There already is conservative backlash to Mike Johnson for having passed a bill with Democratic votes to keep the government open. But the winners that we're looking at with Hakeem Jeffries and Chuck Schumer, people might think like, well, no one's really paying attention to this. You know, Congress constantly seems to be on the verge of, of shutdown. How does this actually help in 2024? And I think that it does because anytime the Democrats can continue to prove we're team normal, they are team chaos, we're keeping it together, and we are able to work in a bipartisan way to keep the government open, to do the basic work of governing, this accrues to their credit. And I do think that people are paying a little more attention. Like I, my sister was visiting from 
California. She works in the wine industry. And she was having to, on Tuesday, she was fussing about, she's like, Jennifer, when does the government shut down? Because we have to figure out, we have new labeling requirements. We got to make sure that we get that done before the government shuts down. Like people are paying attention. But then I think the other thing that does actually break through, did you see the Chip Roy video from yesterday on him on Capitol Hill talking about what the Republicans have not done? I want my Republican colleagues to give me one thing, one, that I can go campaign on and say we did. One. Yeah, no, that give me just give me one one thing we've done. One thing. I just want to hear one thing. I mean, these guys, the self-inflicted wounds are staggering. And by the way, the Biden-Harris uh, Twitter account captured that as a video and put that out just, just to show the contrast of the Democrats, Team Normal, Hakeem Jeffries, Chuck Schumer holding their caucus together. Not an easy thing to do, by the way, people. Not an easy thing to do right now. Uh, you know, there's a lot of tensions around Hamas and Israel. You know, it's 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 not an easy time, uh, but still managing to do that and being able to have that that contrast. You may see it in the form of a Republican talking about how the Republicans aren't getting anything done, but it's accruing to the benefit of the Democrats in 2024. And uh, Schumer and Jeffries are really to credit for keeping the caucuses together to be able to deliver basic wins like keeping the government open. And and frankly, Schumer has done a lot more than that. Now, the losers, this is not hard. I know you sound like a broken record, but it's just the material is so good. How can we ignore it? I mean, when you have a guy with two names, I don't even know what they are. Is it Billy Bob or is it, you know, Jim John or, you know, I don't even know. Mark Wayne. Mark Wayne. Mark Wayne, one word. One word. Okay. When he decides he's going to challenge a witness in a Senate hearing to a physical fight. You want to run your mouth? We can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. Okay, that's fine. Perfect. You want to do it now? I'd love to do it right now. Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up. Hold on. Oh, oh, stop it. Is that your solution every polling? No, no, sit down. No, you're a clown. Sit down. Okay. You know, you're a United States senator. Sit down, please. And you know, when, when, when good old Bernie comes in and says, hold, hold on here, folks. You know, it's like the grandfather coming in to break up the fight with the silly kids that are threatening to strangle each other. It is so stupid and looks so bad. And, you know, the guy afterwards, this Republican senator from what's his last name? Mar- uh, Mullen. Mark Mullen. Wayne Mullen from yeah, Oklahoma. He's new. He's new. He wasn't there when he's I new. was there. And then it comes out that the reason he ha- was all in a, 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 a flatter I mean, about this was because the witness, who's the president of the Teamsters Union, tweeted at him that he had to stand on a box to look taller at a debate. So talk about a reveal. Talk about somebody who's so massively insecure that he's some kind of short dude that he feels the need now to fight and then go on TV afterwards and say, yeah, and I'd bite him anywhere. I'm like, hey, by the way, women don't do this shit. No. You know, this is this is not no. something women do. I, I mean, I, I, I thought it was so funny because so many of the memes were about that. And it's yeah. like, okay, was he on his period? Did he have a bad case of the cramps that day? I mean, is he going through menopause? Is he too emotional to handle the job? Can you imagine if a woman had done that, the kinds of things that people would say to try to make it look like somehow she was unfit for office? And then McCarthy throwing elbows in a crowd of McCarthy! Like, I mean, apparently, you know, according to the reporter was there, Tim Burchett, the congressman that he, you know, like elbowed with, was like, 
propelled forward into this reporter. Like it was not a, it was not a small thing. And apparently not the first time. And then the former Speaker of the House is being interviewed by reporters having to defend physical contact with another member of Congress. Like this, humans will go to this level if that is what the leadership is putting out in the world, right? And certainly that is the kind of energy that that the MAGA world, that Trump puts out into the world, and people respond to that. They follow it. And that's, you know, like, here's where it's, we are. It's, it's bonkers. Totally bonkers. It's embarrassing. The rest of the world sees this stuff and thinks we've all lost our minds. Ugh. Yeah, we're always going to be that country. We're always going to be the country that let Donald Trump be elected. Let's make it once. Um, We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, my friend Rob Flaherty is here to talk to us and share some insights on President Biden's campaign, how they're using digital strategy to uh, win over voters. So when we come back, Deputy Campaign Manager Rob Flaherty. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Selling smoothies is what I do. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too, so he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Okay, welcome back. I'm so excited to welcome our guest today. I met him when he was the Deputy Digital Communications Director for Hillary Clinton. Currently, Rob is a Deputy Campaign Manager for President Biden. As part of this job, he oversees the digital strategy, and he's going to talk to us about the creative ways that they are using the digital strategy to break through, define Trump, reach different audiences, reach hard-to-reach audiences like young people, voters of color, et cetera. And so I'm super excited to welcome Rob Flaherty to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Hi, Jen. Hi, Claire. Thanks for having me. Rob, when did you join the Biden campaign? I joined the Biden campaign in December of 2019. Right. Okay. So Rob calls me. I'm just going to confess. Rob calls me and is like, I'm thinking of going to work for Vice President Biden's campaign. And I was like, Rob, you should only do that if you really love Vice President Biden, because I'm not really so sure this campaign is going to work out for him. <laughs> There's Jen with a good advice. <laughs> Worked out. Look, we were still kind of feeling our way in the new post-Trump, you know, winning the presidency world. And I wasn't sure of my bearings. And I should have trusted voters when they said in 2017, we want Joe Biden. And they never faltered from that in national polls. And uh, but anyway, I told Rob, you should only take this job if you really love Joe Biden. Because and you said, I, I, really I really love, love Joe, Joe Biden. Biden. So that that helped. The other thing that did help, too, is that my wife was already working on the campaign. So she was like, you better love Joe Biden, you know? And I was like, luckily, I do love Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rob, yeah. let's talk about the big thing. It feels like what I'm seeing from your shop is more contrast, more confrontational, more aggressive about going after the insane person who is going to win the Republican nomination. Walk us through that. I know it's not my imagination because I pay very close attention. 
Walk us through at what point did you guys decide that it just wasn't going to be enough to remind people what an, an amazing job President Biden has done? Yeah, no, it's a good question, Claire. And I think we look, we've been contrasting with Donald Trump since the beginning, but um, you know, certainly he's given us a lot more opportunities lately <laughs> to sort of drive that contrast. And I also think that, you know, as a campaign evolves, you try new things. And I think one of the things that, you know, we felt was really important was how do we start to drive what he's actually saying <laughs> and the stakes of his presidency right. out through people? I think that we are seeing, you know, that a lot of media are fatigued about Donald Trump. They're like, oh, yeah, people kind of know. And the stakes are still really real. Uh, and so, you know, we got to do the hard work of showing the American people what a Trump presidency would mean. And so that has taken shape in, in a lot of different ways, be it through sort of the rapid response and confrontational videos we've done sort of from the president from the start, and also the sort of Biden HQ account that we started digitally in the last couple of months. But I think what has also been pretty clear is that this strategy is, is, is certainly successful and it's, it's having an impact and we certainly want to double down on it where we can. I'm interested, do you guys go through a, a, a thought process where you are thinking, not just can we move some of the voters or re-engage our voters, especially young people? Or are you really trying to send a message to media? Hey, look over here, guys. Why are you ignoring the fact that this person doesn't know where he is? He doesn't know who he's running against. He doesn't think the Constitution has any application to him. I mean, it, which is it or both? It's both. It's absolutely both. And 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 I think you know, the interesting thing with with thinking about like digital communications writ large, or really just communications is is you have to think about your sort of like high attention audience and your low attention audience. And we are spending a lot of time thinking about both. So in the first bucket, it's, you know, how are we, um, you know, playing to the sort of Twitter and the threads of it all and our sort of like allies on the Internet and, and, and these kinds of people um, and, you know, just our, our talkers and the people who like tune in every day you know, the junkies of this stuff. But we also have to do the same thing to voters who may not be paying attention yet. And that's why we're spending $25 million right now on on advertising, talking about the president's record. That's why we're piloting these new ways of communicating in our organizing program. But all of it sort of comes together to be raising the stakes of what a Trump presidency could mean and what a MAGA Republican presidency could mean and, and you know, sharing the story of the president's many accomplishments. So I, you know, I pay most attention to what I noticed was the the Biden-Harris HQ Twitter yeah. X account, right? That that was like what first got my attention. First of all, it's very uh, Joe Biden slash Rob Flaherty. And the header is like, no more <laughs> malarkey. You know, you do a good job of embracing some of the charming, if somewhat goofy elements of the president's personality. But also go hard on contrast, you know, pointing out when Trump says he's running against Obama, when he seems to not know where he where he is really leaning in on that. Um, so I, I'm familiar with that, you know, because I'm a Gen Xer, so that's my thing, Twitter. But what are the other platforms you're using, both on what we call the earned media side, which for people who don't know, that just means the stuff you're putting out in the world through social media or in interviews, it's not what you're paying to do. But what are the other outlets you're using, both for paid and earned? You know, the president's and vice president's uh, social media accounts are, are some of the biggest in, in the political space. And so yeah. certainly we have uh, a huge footprint on, you know, t uh, X, if you want to call it that, you know, Facebook, Instagram, all those things. And those right. are sort of the organic channels that we use. And then we have our sort of rapid response accounts that are on X and threads right now. 
Um, there, there is also a Truth Social account. <laughs> oh, there is a Truth Social account. Yeah. Right, this is great. Uh, we launched yeah. a Truth Social yes. account yeah. mostly because we thought it would be funny. And then it turns out we have more followers than the Trump campaign on there, which has been sort of funny. And what has been really funny about that has been a bunch of like lefties kind of followed us like <laughs> and are now like mixing it up mm-hmm. through social, which is sort of funny. Um, and so, you know, we're like using those as ways to sort of drive amplification and drive reach and sort of drive conversation. There are also places where the president and vice president communicate directly through video content and through just like text posts and, and, all, and all that stuff. Certainly, sometimes you're playing to reach as many real people as possible. And sometimes you're playing to do videos that'll get on cable uh, and sort of like reinforce a narrative. Yeah. And so we do a good bit of that. And then on paid, I think one of the things that we know is the way that voters consume information is just changing a lot. Television is still a primary yeah. way that people consume information, but like half of the way our swing voters consume television is on streaming. And so if you're just spending on linear broadcast television, you're missing huge swaths of people. So one of the things that we're doing right now in this sort of $25 million ad buy is a significant amount of research about what media mixes move voters the most, where are our voters, what paid places should we be in. But you know, we're advertising everywhere from the homepage of Yahoo to YouTube and all these sort of places where people really do get a lot of information all the time. And so for us, it's about we just have to be in more places because people are in more places. And and so that changes the way you have to campaign. That's interesting because now that you say it, we consume a lot of streaming content yep. in my house. Um, you know, my husband says that he's old enough that he doesn't think he should ever have to watch a commercial again. <laughs> <laughs> so I I will say this, on many of the streaming things we look at, there are some ads. I have yet to see a political ad on anything that is streaming. Why is that? Are we not being targeted or or is it just not? Will we see more political ads on streaming? You'll see lots of political ads on streaming. Um, You know, one of the things with with streaming is there's, there's a lot of places on streaming that if you pay to subscribe, there aren't ads. So that's like one thing. But there are a lot of places where there are lots of advertising opportunities and it looks a lot like television. I think you're going to see campaigns start to spend a lot more on connected TV and like over the top, which are what they call those two things in this cycle. And we certainly will. And it it allows a lot of flexibility in the way that you target and who you target and how. And you get good information back that you can use to figure out whether an ad was effective or, or these kinds of things. So there's really cool technology in this space that I think campaigns are going to be taking advantage of, or at least we will be. So um, we feel cool about that. I assume you guys are doing a a large segment of uh, targeting through Spanish-speaking channels and other Latina outlets that are important uh, because everyone's really worried about people of color and especially young people of color. um, That that is a, a vulnerability that the campaign has at this moment. What did it feel like inside the campaign when you guys realized that Univision had gone um, dark MAGA on you? Well, it's definitely concerning. (laughs) Yeah. If that continues, that's not a small thing. We should explain what it is. Well, Univision is a huge outlet in the Latina community in terms of content. And at one point in time, Trump would say that he hated Univision and would not do an interview with Univision. Now, they did an interview with Trump. And they kicked off the ads that the Biden campaign had bought on Univision. And they got all these softball questions from them that was just weird. I mean, it was a puff piece 
on Donald Trump on Univision. And the added insult was that they refused to run the Biden ads that had already been paid for and placed during Trump's interview. So that's why I'm saying it looks like they've gone dark matter. Yeah, you're right to point it out. It's concerning. And it's concerning because Univision, Telemundo, and all these sort of outlets that reach Hispanic voters are really, really important to our strategy. You can see in the investments we've already made, we are advertising and communicating on these channels because we know that we need to reach those voters and we need to invest in reaching them early. So we are making those unprecedented investments because those voters trust those outlets. And certainly it's concerning. And I think we're watching and we've expressed our our displeasure. Um, But we'll continue to make those investments where we can. So what I see y'all doing is particularly with the X account, the Biden-Harris HQ account and the videos you're putting on, it's like you're creating content. That's one spot for you want it to infiltrate lots of different places and also sort of laying the groundwork for what will come next year. Is that 100 percent? My on the right track here. Okay. And that's why I think it's important to for people to like to follow that account, look at the videos, the sort of split screen videos that you are producing where, you know, and there's a good example of a UAW one with Trump's record versus Biden's record on UAW. Can you talk about what you all are trying to do with those split screen uh, yeah. videos? Th- this election to us is going to be a choice <laughs> between a MAGA Republican yeah. and uh, the president's agenda, which looks out for working families and against the restrictions of freedoms that that mega Republicans are trying to put in place. We are trying to highlight that choice at every opportunity that we can. And so through video content, through the way that we organize and talk to voters, we are always sort of laying out the stakes of the election. And so we do those videos and we're trying to get another bite at the apple. And the thing is, is when we make them, yeah, it gets media coverage and, and they go on TV and all that stuff. But also people are amplifying them to their friends and their own social networks. And that is like a whole sort of can of worms that we are really thinking about of this campaign, which is actually the most trustworthy source are your friends and family. And how do we get those conversations to happen through them? And so producing that content gives people something that they can then go out and amplify. And so sort of like a holistic flywheel, so to speak, in a tech term to reach as many people as (laughs) possible. You're so tech savvy, Rob. You know me. (laughs) Can I ask one more question? Rob, you have to make an older president fit a younger audience. I think Dark Brandon is part of that notion. Can you explain the concept of Dark Brandon and how you do think about having an older president be relevant and cool and engaging for a younger audience? Yeah, I think there's two things here. One is, yeah, there's like the Dark Brandon of it all. Explain yeah. Dark Brandon, because some folks, may, if they don't know, they need to know. So Dark yeah. Brandon started, our grassroots supporters created this thing, and it was, you know, it sort of went through a bunch of ricochets off various corners of the internet. But it landed in this place where it was sort of this meme of people creating images of Biden with laser eyes or Biden, like, really strong and muscular. It's making fun of the Let's Go Brandon, yeah. which is really F. Joe Biden meme from the right, to go all the yeah. way back for folks that don't know what Brandon and so is. It's, yeah, exactly. So it sort of captured and jumped off of the Let's Go Brandon thing. From there, it took on a life of its own. And and what's great about it is, like, if you're yeah. sitting in my seat, a grassroots meme conversation about how effective Joe Biden is, like you couldn't pay for that. And so for us, it's like, how do we sort of build on that and wink to it and nod to it and make it work for us? And, you know, I think that is certainly part of it. You know, it's this sort of like funny, kitschy, ironic thing that helps communicate about the president's accomplishments and how effective he's been in office. I think also 
there's like the other side of it, which is Joe Biden needs to go to more places where young people are. And so he does that all the time. We've in, in invested in influencers and content creators where we know that young people trust and get their news from. Um, you know, he sat down with people who have platforms on TikTok, people who have big platforms on Instagram to try to go reach those voters and have those conversations because young people exist in the most fractured media environment among a fractured media environment. So we need to figure out how to get him in those places. And so it's a mix of these real conversations with young people and the like funny, ironic, meme yep. twist. You can't do just one. You got to do both. <laughs> so maybe this is the time as we wrap this up. First, we're very grateful that you took some time with us today. We hope you'll Anytime. come back. Tell TJ that unlike Billy Bob or whatever the hell his name is, we won't bite. But I do want to point out that people who listen to this podcast who want Joe Biden to win in 2024, you need to talk to your friends and family however you can that is effective. And obviously the huge one there is yeah. digital. So people need to feel empowered by Rob Flaherty coming on How to Win 2024 and get busy. That is busy. so right, Claire. That is so right and true. And listen, I just, I like couldn't double down more. The people who listen to this podcast, like we we need that word to get spread. It's a very Biden idea, keeping the faith and spreading it. It is the core of our organizing program. It is the core of the way we think about content. And it really does start with the people who listen to podcasts like these. So uh, you're just totally right on that, Claire. And uh, excited to work with all your listeners on that. Sounds great. Thank you, Rob. See, we're Thank fun. Thank you, Rob. Yes. I'll be Come back. back. <laughs> all right. Okay. Bye, guys. <laughs> After the break, Jen and I are going to shine a spotlight on the crucial races Democrats have to pick up in 2024 to continue to control the Senate. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Selling smoothies is what I do. But for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. He's a small business owner, too. So he knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today. Welcome back. We're going to turn to our spotlight segment where we shine a light on something that isn't getting the attention it deserves. Claire, what's your spotlight for this week? So I noticed after Joe Manchin dropped out of running that there was a lot of coverage about what's he going to do? Is he going to run for president? Is a third party presidential? And hardly anybody talked about the looming problem that the Democrats have in holding the Senate. When Joe Manchin dropped out, it was because Joe Manchin was convinced he could not win in West Virginia. Right. Uh, justice in the last poll was leading him by like 13 points in a head-to-head. -head. And I don't think Joe Manchin wanted to end his career in West Virginia with a loss. So I think that is largely responsible for why he dropped out. So with West Virginia off the map, and I think it's fair to assume it is off the map. That means not only do the Democrats have to win in Montana, hello, Trump won by over 20, and Ohio, hello, Trump won twice there. Now we have to win either Texas or Florida. And I have not heard people talk about that. And I think it's important that everyone shift their eyes 
to Texas and Florida and look at those races and realize they are winnable. They are absolutely winnable. And people need to start helping those candidates in those states and start talking about those states because we now have to do Texas, Florida, plus Montana, Ohio, Nevada, and Arizona, and Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so Texas, this is the Ted Cruz race. The likely Democratic candidate is going to be Congressman Colin Allred. Very cool guy, former NFL player, won a tough House seat. The polls show Cruz beating Allred, but Cruz has very low numbers. He's in the low 40s in terms of his approval rating. Like, what do you see in this race that makes you think, we can win it. Well, first of all, Colin Allred's a really good candidate. I think it'd be unfair to call him a moderate, but I think he's pragmatic. I think he is very Texas. And people need to realize that, you know, listen, Joe Biden didn't lose Texas like he lost Montana, like he lost West Virginia, uh, like he lost in my state. It was under 10 points. I think the first time he ran, I think he won by like nine. And the second time he ran, he won like by eight. This is a winnable race, particularly because I think the abortion controversy in Texas has had a a lot of headlines with them having the bounty statute. There's just a lot of things that I think can motivate voters. And by the way, Florida is the same thing. Yeah. I mean... Okay, so talk about that, we, the, the the Democrat that's running there. Her name is Debbie Mucarcel-Powell, and she goes by DMP, which is helpful because it's hard to say Mucarcel-Powell. Once again, a strong candidate. And, and by the way, yep. I, I, can I remind everyone, when Rick Scott won, he won like by 0.02 against Bill Nelson. This is not a guy that's loved in Florida. I mean, right. once again, he looks a little like Voldemort. He, he's not a guy that you go, oh, you know, he's such a sweet man or he's such a good guy. He he took on the political job of running the Republican Senatorial Campaign Committee, engendered a lot of controversy there. He's tried to be a national Republican. I think the Floridians kind of get that about him. And he, he's run for so many things so many times. She's a fresh face, although she is certainly an office holder. But Once again, this is a winnable race, and people need to start viewing it as winnable. And besides that, I think that the Biden campaign will put huge money on the ground in Florida, getting out and fighting this perception that somehow we are not still the party of choice for the Hispanic community. I think Rick Scott's going to have his hand full. I think this is a really important race for people to begin to focus on. And DMP, she unseated a Republican to win a House seat in 2018. So she also has experience in a more moderate, sort of purplish area of Florida and having wins. And I I do think you're right. The the Biden campaign, and certainly President Biden, is not ready to write off Florida. They do plan to uh, invest in that and spend money in that. And it's a mercurial state, and it can change it can change quickly. Abortion's a big issue in both states. Just to remind people, with Texas, the six-week heartbeat bill was the first opening salvo from the Supreme Court prior to the Dobbs decision when they let that bill take effect in 2021. It, it is a six-week abortion ban. It is, as Claire says, there is a bounty on people. If you help someone get an abortion, you can be subject to penalties. If you drive someone to get an abortion, you can be subject to a penalties. And then the same thing with what Ron DeSantis did in, in Florida with a six-week abortion ban, which right after that was enacted in Jacksonville, 
relatively conservative area in Florida. Very big win for a Democratic candidate for mayor who made abortion part of her message. Yeah, and there's going to be a a ballot issue on abortion in Florida. They're putting something on the ballot down there. So that's going to be uh, another organizing issue for Floridians who care very much about ridding Florida of this label they have now that it is all about banning books and getting in women's bedrooms in terms of telling them what to do. Let's pull the curtain back a little on the money situation. First of all, Rick Scott is mega wealthy. He made it as a healthcare executive, and there's all kinds of dirt in his background about how he made that money and whether or not there was some shady stuff there. But he's raised $14 million so far this cycle, but he's spent $12.4 million of it. That's a lot of money to spend. He's only sitting on $3 million cash on hand. That is not a good number for an incumbent senator that's up next year. And in contrast, DMP has raised $1.7 million and has spent 625000 of that and has a million on hand. So he's ahead of our $3 million to $1 million. Now, the outside groups will make their decision about where to deploy funds. And I'm sure right. that if she's got this thing close, she will see an avalanche of outside money. But remember, everybody, the money you give directly to candidates spends better than the money in third-party groups. And a lot of people don't realize this. The third-party groups have to pay the going rate for advertising. Whereas if you buy ads as a campaign, you get the lowest rate number. So especially near the end of a campaign, campaigns have the ability, direct candidate campaigns have the ability to buy a lot more for a lot less. So you can't just say, well, the outside groups will take care of it. It makes a big difference how much the actual candidates have to deploy, particularly the last 60 days. And in Texas, let's look at the money there. In yeah. Texas, Cruz has raised $40.8 million and spent $34 million. And he has... Which is nuts. That's which is nuts. nuts. He has $5.8 million on hand. And if you look at Colin Allred, he's raised $13.5 million. See, everybody doesn't like Ted Cruz. I'm telling you, people yeah. are doing that because it makes them feel good to give money against that snarky <laughs> guy. He spent $5.6 million. And he has $8 million on hand. So He has he, more on hand than Ted. He has, he has more, more on hand than Ted. This is really important. That's a big metric right there. Yeah, big deal. it is. It is. And by the way, if you live in Texas or Florida, it is not too early to say, I will be part of your ground game. I will volunteer some time on this. That's how to win in 2024 is to begin focusing on some of these states that haven't gotten the attention they deserve. And the more money these candidates get now, the more the third-party groups will give them later. And it feels just as good to give money to beat uh, Rick Scott as it probably does to give money to beat Ted Cruz. There you go. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back next week with much more. If you have a question for us, you can send it to howtowinquestions at NBCUNI.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 646-974-4194, and we might answer it on the pod. The senior producer for this show is Alicia Conley, Jessica Schrecker, and Ivy Green are segment producers. Bryson Barnes is the head of audio production. Katherine Anderson is our audio engineer. Aisha Turner is the executive producer for MSNBC Audio. And Rebecca Cutler is the senior vice president for content strategy at MSNBC. Search for How to Win 2024 wherever you get your podcasts and follow the series. Thank you.
I know how to run a hair salon, but for small business insurance, I chose my State Farm agent. She's a small business owner too, so she knew how to help me personalize my policies. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to an agent today.